podcast within a podcast pottering around the borough of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who also make loopholes for ourselves in the laws we write. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? Very disappointed that apparently there wasn't a course in law school built on around uh, the law of the wizarding world, because that sounds like a fascinating dive to get into. I think there might be a college in Portland that does that. I'm going. (laughs) Um, So we are here, we have our segments, we have a rapid-fire recap of any given episode, or any given uh, chapter, and then we have, um, (laughs) BJ, I don't know what to call your segment anymore. I don't know either. I I just, things that amuse me. Sure. All right. Uh, BJ's wizard. BJ's, BJ's spiel. Yeah, uh, and then we have newbies notes coming from Spencer. I award house points, and then uh, you all bother me with questions that I answer or not, as pleases me on any given night. So, we are in the third chapter of the second book of Harry Potter, called, mm-hmm. I think, Just the Burrow. It is. Is that right? Okay. Are we ready for the recap? How much time do you think you need? I'm hoping it's two minutes. I think I can do it in oh, two minutes. keeping to a theme here. I'm, I, I try. I always try for the two minutes. It is to greater or lesser degrees of success. It's a packed chapter. We'll see how you do. It's a lot of extraneous information that I am, hint, hint, hoping that you ask me about <laughs> during <laughs> we'll get into all the details, other segments yes. rather than wrong. me discussing it. Okay. So, Ron, Fred, and George are obviously on a rescue mission in a flying car. Ron, (laughs) concerned about Harry not answering his letters and hearing his dad talk about Harry's warning that he received from the Ministry of Magic last chapter, convinced his brothers to steal their dad's illegal flying car to go check on him, so... Here they are. They pull the bars off of Harry's windows with uh, with the car, dash around collecting his things, and are back in the car without waking the Dursleys, except that they forgot Hedwig, who makes a huge, well-deserved fuss. Uh, Vernon comes trundling in just in time to uh, sort of catch Harry about the ankle, but the Weasleys haul him into the car and they motor away into the night sky. Harry tells them about Dobby, and they seem to think that someone, like Draco Malfoy, sent Dobby as a joke to keep Harry away from school. They fly on discussing sort of family talk. Older brother Percy has been acting very odd all summer. Mr. Weasley works in the misuse of Muggle Artifacts office, even though he secretly collects and tinkers with Muggle things, etc. They get to the village and the Weasley's extraordinarily rambly house at the edge of town, and Harry gets his first wizard house experience. They sneak back to their rooms, or they try to sneak back to their rooms, and are caught by Mrs. Weasley, who is enraged that they have been gone all night. Although very pleased to see Harry. She feeds everyone breakfast, giving Harry an opportunity to observe all sorts of delightful bits of magic about the house, as well as briefly see younger sister Jenny, who seems to have a bit of a crush on Harry, and then sets them to denoming the garden according to Gilderoy Lockhart's method. They decide to just make the gnomes dizzy and chuck them as far as they can. Mr. Weasley comes home from a night of raids and is both pleased and chagrined that his gar- his car made it across the country and back. We end with more details about the daily lives of wizard families and a very happy Harry. 
With ten seconds to spare. How about that? <laughs> Alright, that, that was an effective summary for what is a lot of material, and I will happily go into greater detail in terms of quizzing you and going through newbie's notes. Thank you, Spencer. I thought I could rely on you for that, um, because there were, there were two lanes to go with this summary. <laughs> Uh, and one, we would be here till next week. So, thank you. Uh, BJ, BJ, what you got for us? Um, so, probably my favorite thing of this chapter, and I guess it did technically predate it, but um, was the Mean Girls reference. Um, get in, loser. We're going to <laughs> the borough. Um, there were a couple of things that um, amused me for... for various reasons um i like that um harry's being super quiet and then they're ripping the bars out of his window and it's just like <laughs> wait a minute um. <laughs> um so a couple of things that i desperately need to reference um but we're going to quickly um say and then never talk about again um what do you think polishing a prefect badge is all about um <laughs> the the misuse of muggles artifacts office is i really thoroughly enjoy and i love that basically everything in harry potter is a misuse of a muddle muggle artifact and they're just gonna completely <laughs> ignore it because it's a nonsensical like i get the intent but it's a completely nonsensical yeah. thing um mm -hmm. I already made a Burrow George R. Uh, J.R. Tolkien joke the last episode, so we're also going to quickly go over that one. Um, I do like that um, Mrs. Weasley clearly reads romance novels, and they get... Hmm. I wonder what romance novels in uh, the Wizarding World would look like on their covers. Um, it's true, they'd move. And <laughs> so the last two things are... Miss, uh, Mr. Weasley might be my favorite character that we've had, mm -hmm. hands down, mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. his immediate reaction, which I is very near and dear to my heart, was, wait, it worked? Awesome. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be angry at you. Um, okay. It's, Mr. It's Weasley is a scientist at heart. Yes. <laughs> it's good to see that Ron t seems to take after his dad, too, in terms of general personality. So, yeah. Mr. Weasley's great. Yeah. And then the last one is I still do enjoy the alliterative wordplay of The Adventures of Martin Miggs, the Magic, the Mad Muggle. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of like with all things, I'm very curious. Like this is a place that I would love to have supplemental material as opposed to mm -hmm. like a bestiary or any other like supplementary material that might have actually come out. But like wizard comics about muggles sounds hilarious 1000% agree I also like I didn't I assumed that given your track record of um, pointing out alliteration BJ I thought that you were going to get to uh, Martin Miggs the mad muggle but I did have my page open to my book open to that page just in case you didn't get there because this is extraordinary my plan <laughs> Um, it does look like there's some very disappointing um, fan art associated with it. Um, I don't need to know about any of that. 
Yeah, just a quick Google search and some images that pop up um, are a little disappointing, though I do have safe search on, and it's going to stay that way. <laughs> okay. Fair. Uh, Spencer, what do you have in newbie's notes tonight? Uh, I adored this chapter. This chapter was great. This chapter just seemed like it was like, the first chapter was pretty serious, it was pretty dark, and this chapter is like, oh wait, I want to remind my audience that this universe runs on fun. It It's just, so much of this is just powered by the rule of cool, the rule of fun, rather than even logic, and it knows that, and it's having fun with it. Like you said, BJ, the, you know, SEAL Team 6 rescue of Harry Potter is just hilariously ludicrous, and it's great. You spent the entire last chapter afraid that a, you know, the sound of a no, of a elf beating his head against the wall to disturb a dinner party, they've got like a Ford Plymouth in, above, uh, hovering above the house, ripping bars off windows, motor going the whole time. Just fine. Not an issue. It's when the owl starts squawking there at the end that suddenly the alarms go off. And it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun visuals. I enjoy that they even reference something we talked a lot, a lot in the first book, that Wizards don't have practical skills, but the Weasleys have really worked hard to get them. In terms of them picking the lock on a door and everything else. That was a fun little reference. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some additional questions answered about how the magic of house elves work, how they're tied to a family, or alternatively tied to actually a home. They kind of say both at different times. Mm -hmm. um, as well as the wheels within wheels debate about who actually Dobby is following the directives of. We got... Really strongly suggested here that he's probably maybe working for the Malfoys because they would have the wealth necessary to justify wealth and family history to justify a house elf, and so possibly everything that he did was just a way of thwarting Harry Potter in ways that we didn't expect. One thing I also found really interesting that I probably should have picked up on earlier is that this chapter really says the Weasleys are kind of low-key powerful in their own ways, which previously they kind of been telling us was not the case. But now I understand it's just that they're poor as dirt. Not that they're not very capable wizards in, honestly, positions of kind of remarkable influence in their own way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see with um, Mr. Weasley... What's, what's Mr. Weasley's first name? Do we do we hear? I don't know if we know it in this chapter, but it's Arthur. Arthur. Uh, that he's in a position that is, you know, kind of brushed aside, considered relatively irrelevant. And so maybe because of that... He's literally writing the laws for this area of his, uh, this area that he's, that he's enforcing. That it isn't against the law for him to own and build this car because he made that law for that explicit purpose. That and, it's, and it's interesting that in that process, too, that he is, th this like particular department that he is working in is really the basis of why the Ministry of Magic exists. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. it gets shunted off to the side because it is focused entirely around kind of muggles. <laughs> those those muggle affairs. Mm -hmm. send, them on send with the lesser people, one of the poor people to handle those. It, it, it's we, interesting. Yeah, we are very, very much in a class system here. It, it's interesting because, like you said, this is what we've heard from the very first book that this is one of the main things Mystery Magic exists to prevent is muggles getting their hands on magical objects. But now we hear it's like, you know, two guys that handle this. Um... And apparently, because of that, he's remarkably busy, but has a lot of influence over what is a very important area of the law, the basis by which the ministry exists. He's also pretty damn magically powerful if he's constantly enchanting these various objects. Apparently, this is just the spare time activity that he does in his basement. When previously we heard in the first book that 
Permanently enchanting an object like this can be a very rare thing demonstrative of remarkable power. But he just does this regularly. As long as you Same thing with don't start with an animal, because then you can get, like, cool snuff boxes. Oh, yes, rats. <laughs> yeah. Separate category. You're using maybe the life force. Who knows? Um, Mrs. Weasley. What's her first name? Do we know that? Molly. Molly Weasley. Also, just very casually in the background is doing the full saucer Mickey Mouse and the Saucer's Apprentice thing with the dishes. Like, the entire kitchen is moving around her as she's just having a conversation. Which we've previously heard is hard. Like, they're having to work hard to move, like, a single thing, and she's got the world moving in constant activity around her without missing a beat in a conversation. Yeah, she's an interesting... I just want to interject here real fast, because, like, we, for several books, kind of get her as a a housewife. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have, Spencer, picked up on a really key thing that I don't think it's really a spoiler, because, like, it is already there. But she's a badass! (laughs) Yeah, we've previously been told that's really hard to do. Like, yeah. they struggled hard to move a single object. We've seen before, like, with uh, Snape, that he has to focus, like, Snape versus uh, Quirrell. Mm-hmm. They have to focus in on Harry's broom to even influence control that one object. Whereas she's moving the world casually around her while she's scolding her children. Well, so the other side of that is it's, like, an enchanted object, so... Yes, yeah. And it is a regulate like the broom. The broomsticks themselves are a regulated enchanted object, so there are all kinds mm-hmm. of things around them that make it infinitely more difficult than like if you were just, uh, for example, Spencer picking up a wooden spoon that you might have gotten in the owl post um, and trying to move it around, <laughs> and maybe Barney it in the process. Um, um, so it, it is a little different, but you are you are right, Spencer, that the fact that she's doing all of this in the background. While she is doing something else, mm-hmm. is is really impressive. It's noteworthy. I we sh- I should have realized it kind of already because everything we've heard about their older children is that they're remarkably accomplished in their various fields. Mm-hmm. That one is a prestigious researcher who's out constantly researching dragons and just shows up at the top of Hogwarts to take a dragon with him with his well, what his friends do as just part of their regular daily events. We hear that uh, Percy, Percy Perry. What's the name of the older brother? I'm struggling with the names of the characters. <laughs> Percy is the is still at Hogwarts. Percy the prefect. He is the prefect, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's a prefect. He's mm-hmm. apparently leading in his field. So there's a family history here that's very relevant. But like you said, it's just further examples that this is a very class-based society. And so despite the fact they're magically powerful, despite the fact they're tied into the foundations by which the ministry, the sole basic apparatus of government that we see, exists, they're poor and so they're irrelevant. And yeah. they're constantly pissed on by people around them. That's very British. Mm-hmm. Um, other interesting things we get here, we get to meet more non-humans and see that they are treated like crap despite the fact they are fully conversant and sentient. Though, admittedly, the gnomes here seem like little bastards and I'd probably enjoy chucking them into other fields too. It also seems like it's more kind of... Like a lot of how they interact with magical objects, there's a level of physical abuse, but everyone's kind of on the same playing field that it's kind of sort of just a game that we play. Um, what else do I got here? It's... Also very interesting to see that how very arbitrary the rules on magical use in the Muggle world are. That we don't have Arthur say that you're allowed to fly a car. That's specifically against the rules. Previously, when Harry wielded a spell, well, when Dobby did in Harry's household, immediately, within like 20 seconds, Owl apparates and drops off letter, or however else that works. We debated that in the last episode. Uh, Here, 
flying magically powered car is openly in the street outside of a window and causing property damage no owls so it's it's again demonstrative that the ministry system for monitoring the muggle world is incomplete and clearly of very secondary importance for them despite the fact that should be their job so arthur is going to send himself a note that he should be more careful in the future it, it's very clear that there are not many people necessarily monitoring this, that it's an automatic system, and when you've got Arthur having basically sole control over it, he can kind of do what he wants. Ministry of Magic is not focusing on this, and that's just... It's, again, it's showing that where their biases so are. So you're saying it's somewhat capricious, and for whatever reason, and it has nothing to do with the plot or how we should feel about our main character, um, maybe focused in certain places. Yes. Okay. Uh, otherwise, um, I'll skip ahead. Uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. Do I know who that is yet? Because that name sounds awfully familiar. You don't in the books, but you will. Okay. This may be an example of a character I've just heard, you know, yeah. in our regular world, whatever else. Because it seems like he's going to come up and certain degree of spoiler, I turn to the next page and it seems to be his picture is gracing the next chapter. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing he's going to be relevant in this book. He's a very um, big player in this book. Is he, he just kind of like a local social media kind of celebrity that does everything and publishes all kinds of books on various topics just because they've got that name brand He's reputation? He's a dataist. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you guys for a second there. We were all quiet because I made a bad joke. <laughs> Sarah eventually laughed, and there, there isn't much more to it. Okay. <laughs> we, we, can, we can cut that in various ways. <laughs> Um, well, getting back into it, it's also interesting to see, uh, you pronounced it, uh, how did you pronounce Ron's sister's name? Jenny. Jenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting to see her again kind of engage in a mix of either hero worship or crush of Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's most of what we've seen her do across two books, so see, interested to see how that develops, because it's clearly something that they want us to focus on. Spencer, were you leaning towards yeah. a racial slur? No. Okay. What were you, where were, you, where were you going for there? How were you going to pronounce Jenny? Jenny? So the answer is yes. Okay. Is that a racial slur? It can be considered. Not spelled so. the same way. Yeah. Pronounced similarly. Um, yeah. Well, clearly not because I don't know it. Fair enough. That's fair. Um, yeah. All right. So, so the other thing that, that I wanted to let you know, um, Sarah, probably more than Spencer, because Spencer hates animals, um, and the... <laughs> hey, this is the thing now in our various podcasts. And the probably... You can't let anything slip, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it locked down all the time. Mm-hmm. And the probably real equivalent to Ottery uh, St. Catchpole is Ottery mm-hmm. St. Mary, which one of the major attractions and things to do is go to the donkey sanctuary. What? Um, I love donkeys. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I think is very funny is that catchpole apparently comes from the old French catchpole or ch- chassepole. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce French, okay. French things. Or the medieval Latin chassepulus, meaning chase fowl so they basically live in ottery saint wild goose chase i love that so much and i think it's probably true 
the Weasleys seem to present as a sort of family who chase geese on <laughs> as a as a pastime. Uh, they, they are at least not as organized as I would like for them. To be. <laughs> Spencer feels real kinship to how the Weasley household is run. Oh, no. Hence my last question was going to be, is Harry ever going to live with the the Weasleys for a summer? Because I would have a blast with this family. (laughs) Um, He will never live with them for an entire summer, but he will live with them for significant portions of the summer. He sort of does end up living with at least a Weasley. That's fair. All right, that's, that's going on the list. That's not okay. in this series, <laughs> going, I don't think. Going on the list of things I will eventually understand, hopefully. Yeah. Weasley slash Harry fanfic. Gotcha. Okay. It, no, no, no um, it's not. Well, unless you consider J.K. Well, Rowling fanfic. Um, <laughs> which at this point... Uh, yeah, uh, he comes and goes. Um, mm. So we have house points to award. We do. And I have a clear winner of this chapter, although the loser is a little bit more murky, and I would like a little bit of input in it. Um, but I do believe that the clear winner in this chapter is Harry. Yes. Uh, he has escaped his confines. He has gone to a place that he finds fucking great. And mm-hmm. um, he has got to do all kinds of things that he has never seen or imagined before. Like, he is just in hog gnome heaven. This is this is an excellent <laughs> chapter for Harry all around. Uh, Mrs. Weasley isn't even mad at him. No, that's it, one of the main distinctions between him and the rest of the escape artists is that they full, feel the full wrath of her scorn, including Arthur Weasley, too, for just not condemning them for it. <laughs> yeah. Harry just gets everything he wants. He escapes it completely. So, it, which, um, I have a question. It, it reminds oh, me. Oh, go ahead, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I found it funny just from memories of my childhood of where I really do remember various situations like being over at friends' houses and the my friend whatever else would do something wrong, whatever yeah. else, and the parents would tear into them. <laughs> and then it would just like flipping a switch, they turned back to me and it would all be gone. It's like, oh, yeah. how you doing, whatever else. Just, it's like, it's let me, such a let me of tell you thing. how much you are in trouble by being super nice to your friend. Yeah. There was an element of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, BJ, you had a question. I do. Around. All of this. So, Sarah. Yes. Which do you think is worse? Having okay. your uh, job possibly be unhappy with you and maybe your wife, or to no longer be able to abuse a child? Well, this is my question. <laughs> this is exactly, exactly my conundrum. Because <laughs> it's a 50 50 here in this world. In this world, it actually is. Like, clearly, given, I I think I laid out in the last episode, that especially in these chapters where we are not necessarily in Hogwarts, awarding house points gets a little weird. And so maybe we should think about, like, what an individual character's objectives are in a given chapter and how well they meet or do not those objectives, right? Yeah. Um, And so... The general objective of the Weasleys. Yeah, is... uh, to coexist in harmony. <laughs> and the general objective of the Dursleys is to abuse Keep Harry, Harry there. Yeah, yes. okay, keep Harry, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, in the, to do said thing, they had to keep Harry in his, in his room. Um, and so I think that there is a real question in 
this sort of uh, question or in this in this discussion of where house points go as to whether Vernon or Arthur was the real loser of this chapter. <laughs> so where does it fall? I'm not sure because Vernon was only there at the very beginning of this chapter. And then we would, spoiler, we don't see him again for the rest of the book. Um, Which I think is a success for him. Out of there, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, I do think that we, we learn more about Arthur Weasley's position related to this illegal car, illegal flying car later that makes me inclined to, for this chapter, say that Vernon is the loser of this chapter. Yeah. yeah okay. I would pull that Thoughts. way with as well, just because his flying car worked. I mean, clearly that's the most important thing to him in this chapter. He was very excited about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and at least at present, he's rather flippant about the idea of repercussions. Mm-hmm. That he just kind of says, eh, you know, maybe I'll have to investigate myself or something. Yeah. It is really like, just that Molly is annoyed with him. Oh, yes. But they seem like th- that will pass. Meanwhile, <laughs> Vernon's got property damage. That's contractors. That's that's a that, that's a degree of burden that's been placed upon him that I don't see I don't think that Arthur Weasley quite is rivaling. I think that's I think that's true. So I'm going to stand by these house point allocations uh, and demerits and I think that makes sense. So, hmm. questions. Uh, okay, I, I can start with one if you like Please. me to. So we see here that Arthur has Arthur is in a, a mid-level bureaucrat kind of job, mm-hmm. but because it's one that the powers that be don't pay a lot of attention to, he has a lot of power that mm-hmm. he can really control this area of the law at his free will. Is this the norm for the Ministry of Magic and how various of the officials and similar levels of power work, or is he just kind of in a unique position? because it's an area that the senior ministers don't really care about or pay attention to. Um, I think that he is, that that his particular situation is a, a little bit unique in that way, but I do think that that we see that this is a very British system that mm-hmm. is very segmented in who has power in what area and what that means and that there is not across the board a lot of concern except in specific cases about what anybody is doing where or even a whole bunch of knowledge about what anybody is doing in any given department so i think that his his case is an extreme version of the general rule right this really strikes me as like a pre-margaret thatcher civil service kind of thing of where these administrators and bureaucrats have a hell of a lot of power, probably exceeding that of elected officials, if those even really exist in the wizarding world, not sure. And they can wield it how they want, particularly within their department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Then that's where I would kind of kind of draw the line. We see other examples of, of the same kinds of things, but I don't I don't know that we see it to the degree that Arthur is just kind of like <laughs> a rogue functionary. <laughs> Yeah. Right, BJ, you got one? Um, yeah, it's... So, I find it interesting that... I, and I guess this 
I don't know how to best uh, umbrella this question, but um, there was a sentence that kind of threw me for a loop, which was um, okay. Malfoy made Dudley Dursley look like a kind and thoughtful and sensitive boy. Which is that supposed to be sort of reading into something that we don't know about, like in the books? Because as we've read in the books, Dudley is the worst. Mm-hmm. And Malfoy's like a bit of a dick. But yeah, I mean maybe he's I, like a yeah. little bit of a bully or mostly, but he's not he's not even that much of a bully, it seems, to at least to Harry. Well he, he go on, well, no, sure, no, I have no, a comment go, on go, this. Go, go ahead, Spencer. Well, it seems like it's just relative levels of importance to Harry, where Harry's gotten pretty used to everything that Dudley can throw out. Meanwhile, Malfoy has directly threatened the things that Harry now loves more than anything in this world. Where Malfoy, but Dudley has done the several same. Several times, la- Malfoy several times last year tried to get him expelled, and du- Dudley can't do that. There's nothing Dudley can do about that. Sure, I mean, Dudley Dudley didn't even know, and the Dursley family didn't even know that was an option to them until. The, uh, the end of last chapter yeah I mean but like I guess we've discussed previously that, that physical harm in the books is obvious, weirdly um, trivialized but sure yeah it just feels like a very weird statement given what's happened yeah I think my read on it I don't think you're I don't think you're off BJ but I do think that it is a a sort of question of Harry doesn't want to be at the Dursleys anyway. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get away from the Dursleys. Um, and so, yes, Dudley is a bully. Dudley can be physically harmful to Harry um, and makes his life a sort of hell around this world that he doesn't want to be in to begin with. But Malfoy is a an existential threat to Harry's ability to be where he wants to be mm-hmm. um, and to function in the world that he wants to function in, which I do I do think you're right, BJ, that we have seen kind of only hints in the way that might happen going forward. But I think that we can probably, and I, I think that Harry probably is, especially as a sort of 12 or 13-year-old whose world is wrapped up in exactly what it's wrapped up in, um, extrapolate out into the threat that Malfoy poses to the one place that he has been happy. Fair enough. It just it's just one of those things that like I can understand it being foreshadowing and, and I read it as such more than mm-hmm. and maybe filling in sort of like gaps in our perspective as readers. But again, it's just like one of them has been physically and emotionally abusive, yeah. and the other's been a little bit of a dick in class. Well, and I, I and I think you're absolutely you're right in the sense that like yes, we 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 get there. Um, yeah, <laughs> we we totally get there with Draco. Like I don't think anyone doesn't see this coming. Um, but I do think BJ, kind of to your point, that it is actually that that line that you reference is actually bad writing to just get to how bad Draco is in Harry's mind. Well, uh, but it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Let me offer an example. Okay. Of where Draco, in Harry's mind, was directly responsible for the closest he got to getting expelled last year with the whole dragon in the tower thing. 
That's true. And that's something he's never forgiven him for and has continually referenced it again after it happened. That was a big deal in that in several times, in several ways, associated with that dragon, Malfoy set up traps that Harry nearly got caught in or did get caught in. Uh, it just seems like Malfoy's just, if he wishes to cause Harry harm, much more capable of it than Dudley. Dudley, from what we saw, is an idiot. Harry's gotten pretty good over the years at just avoiding it. That most of the chapters that we see, Dudley, though he wants to inflict harm on Harry, never succeeds in doing so because Harry's easily able to dodge him, avoid him, or just confuse him. Drake, on the other hand, is conniving, capable, and may not wish to inflict the same degree of physical harm on Harry, but seems to have it out for him as a personal grudge, like we've talked about, and for the one thing that Harry actually cares about. So I think there's a lot more potential for threat from Draco than uh, Dudley, just because he doesn't know what to expect. Yeah, out of I, I think it's much more and like a, it's a, he's the, he's Harry's nemesis. He's yes. Harry's foil. I also, yeah. I was just going to say that I think that in, in kind of that same vein, BJ, uh, D- Draco has a lot of the things that Harry, having been exposed to the magical world, would have liked to have had. Not mm-hmm. in terms of like money or power necessarily, but in terms of a stable magical family that can allow him access to this world in a way that he just doesn't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the entire book is built around class system tensions and he represents the upper crust and everything yes. else. So he's kind of meant to be a bit of an icon emblem there as well. Yes, and and in kind of in the magical world, you not only have this sort of like money and title and family-based system of class, you also have the sort of like powerful magic associated with that, right? Oh, so it yes. just gets amplified. So... There was a magical gentry. I have a follow-up question, and then I will turn it back over to Spencer. Um, Harry's rich, right? And individually, yes. Yeah, individually, yes. Yeah. So, how come like there's no? Uh, I don't know how best to phrase this question without sounding like me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> BJ, you're here because we want to hear from you. Yeah. Say it the most BJ way okay, you can. Okay, so so how come it's not addressed in like any sort of reasonable way where Harry has money and it can be like, hey, okay, well, I'm going to give a bunch of money to uh, the Weasleys and they can like put me up or or anything. Um, basically, it 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 seems like there's a trust that should have either gone to him or provided for him somehow, yet mm-hmm. Dumbledore has decided that the best possible place for Harry is being thoroughly abused for, for a decade um, and probably continuing even though he knows exactly what's going on. Um, but there's the money and obviously opportunity to not have that be a thing. And so there's this weird class dynamic that only exists because Harry's nouveau riche? Like, I I don't know. It, it's just like there are these... So your question, those questions are entirely completely valid. Um, the question of why Harry can't just sort of give sort of two middle fingers to the Dursleys and fuck right off uh, does get addressed later. It's also a point, too, that uh, the wizard coinage is perfectly valid it was it's an equally valuable resource in the muggle world too right i mean mm-hmm. the vault's full of gold 
So, potentially speaking, he could wield that kind of wealth as well in his summer life, too, if he wanted to. They're guessing there's probably restrictions on that. It'd be super funny if he just, like, had a separate, like, drill bit company that he just, like, bought. And, like, 100%, that's what I would do in my office. Oh, that'd be great. I know you would, BJ. Um, BJ... BJ, would you have done that at 12? I would, meeting 12-year-old BJ would have been an interesting experience. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I could ask my mom, and I probably would get a very interesting answer. Um, I can get back to you on that if you actually want to know. Uh, I'm curious. If you could record that and sort of splice it in somewhere, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other questions that we have. Uh, yeah, another one from me. Mm-hmm. Uh We've, we saw before in the prior book that Ron knew essentially nothing about the Muggle world. Mm-hmm. Like, really basic stuff was entirely foreign to him. Now we found out, though, that his dad is constantly working, well, spends most of his daily life working in the Muggle world, or working with Muggle artifacts and dealing with Muggles, and brings some choice items back home to work on his basement, which Ron knows about. And they is... have to learn Muggle skills like lockpicking... Well, his brothers do. They don't have to learn anything. Well, <laughs> this this is this is probably not what the things they were not supposed to be even be learning. I don't but, think their parents know that they know these things. I feel like they a hundred percent do because honestly, <laughs> well, they, uh, their mom's reaction to stealing the car and you know going on an adventure was you weren't in your beds, you didn't leave a note. And stealing the car was third on that list. <laughs> yeah. She, she, given how, how we've seen the twins act before, she's got to be used to it to a certain degree at this sure. stage. Uh, but yeah, I guess my practical question is, is this just, is the dad, are they aware that what the dad does, but he's purposefully cagey with his work because he's trying to in some way restrict the muggle world from them? Or is Ron just, you know, has it all before him, but is kind of a doofus and is never paying attention? No, I actually think that we get pretty clear evidence um, that, by and large, the the Muggle and the magical world have been kept so far apart that even if you are kind of dealing in the misuse of Muggle artifacts office, you are coming at it from such a distinctly magical point of view that you don't understand the intricacies of what the Muggle world is. And we get a lot of moments that point to that, although there are some interesting theories about other things that, that Arthur Weasley could be doing in those moments. But I think that we the most evidence that we get is that like this is um, the kind of like hiring a, um, a sort of Middle East expert in the <laughs> White House, that you are going to come at that with a very particular training and point of view that mm-hmm. may or may not have anything to do with the lived experience of muggles on the ground, but has everything to do with the way the wizarding world needs muggles to view or not view the magical community. So, so, so this, I, I just mm-hmm. want to relate this to something that may make uh, tons of sense to you, Spencer. Um, so you might have, and might not, and this might just be a, an experience that I have you, but you might have grown up with your parents listening to NPR in a car. And, yes. And so a lot of the radio that you might have been exposed to was very different than what would have been on the popular stations. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, your relationship with the world is very different than if you... <laughs> and so it, it's not per se a, like, Ron has no idea what's going on in the Muggle world. It's more like Ron is inculcated with what's going on in the wizarding world, and so it's just like, oh, okay, football's a thing, or something like that, whereas the amount of exposure that he has to the Muggle world might be very different because of the world that he lives in, and it's not that he doesn't have any exposure, it's just like he doesn't know where that border is, because like the radio that they listen to is some famous wizard and and so like the border my guess is that the border that he understands between the muggle and wizarding world is very fuzzy and what he knows of the muggle world is really small like Mm -hmm. when he gets told to weed the garden he's chucking gnomes Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like he understands that weeding the garden is a thing but if he were told to weed a garden in, in a muggle household he'd just be like okay where are the gnomes but he knows that weeding the garden is a thing mm-hmm. so I feel like the that's kind of the like he knows about the muggle world but is unaware of like where his knowledge base begins or ends because of his upbringing to uh, work off your example there, BJ, about kind of narrow scopes with respect to specifically NPR. At like age eight, I was on a trip with a friend going to the beach with his family. Hadn't spent a lot of time with them before uh, in that kind of way. And they said, oh, Spencer, what do you want to set the radio to? And at age eight, I asked if we could switch it to car talk. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Which is one of the first moments, like spending time outside my family, I started to sort of realize, oh, I'm kind of different, aren't I? It's like watching their reactions to me saying, oh, can we switch it to car talk? It's Sunday at 10 a.m. <laughs> well, so, yes, you're dead Sp- on, DJ. <laughs> Spencer, you are, you are very Percy-ish in that regard, and we, we appreciate I'm, you for it. <laughs> I want to spend more time with him. I feel like we'd get along well. <laughs> I was going to say, Sarah, I don't know about your upbringing, but I'm pretty sure car talk would have been an hour or- earlier because it seems to be that, that it is... Uh, Tied to Eastern Time, oh. for the most part. Oh yeah, part. when you're on Central Time, everything is everything is a little bit different. <laughs> um, so, other other questions to round us out? No, I don't have as many questions of this chapter. I was just kind of enjoying it too much to write them down. It is it is a a ride through your flight out of the garden. I don't know where that's where that's going. <laughs> um, so I do. I think lost that on the way. This is this was like a good. Uh, it's a fun chapter and it does sort of round Mm -hmm. out what the wizarding world is like outside of Harry Mm -hmm. Potter a bit Um, Mm -hmm. it does feel a little bit um, Mickey Sorcerer but but it is I do appreciate the look into the world that isn't at Hogwarts yeah these are some of these these early and I I think I mentioned them in in some of our uh, episodes for the last book but some of these earlier chapters in, you know, the second, third, fourth book um, are some of my favorites because they are, for me, who just wants to inhabit this world. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of, like, plot or reveal or anything that happens, but you get this really fleshed out, detail-driven 
world on like, okay, but what would your day to day look like? And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I do have one last question to close us out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you already planning your trip to New York City? Um, yeah, I think I'm going in February. Okay. Context? Um, so there is a Harry Potter flagship store coming to New York City near the Flatiron <laughs> building. Um, it is going to be the largest Harry Potter themed shop in the entire world. Um, I, I think that the hearings to get past the... Uh, building codes and whatever else have have been passed by and and it's going to open uh, sometime soon so so for all your harry potter themed things you know birdie bots every flavored beans and butterbeer and ice cream and all those fun things are going to be on sale there and so i assumed that that sarah has already been planning her her visitation i will <laughs> i will scope it out for for all interested parties. Who, who needs FAO Schwartz? You found your true toy store now. Absolutely. All right. Well, this was fun. Next week, we have um, our next chapter, which I believe is at Flourish and Blots. Yeah, with a, a picture of what I assume is Lockhart right there. Yeah, you are. You you have nailed that, Spence. <laughs> Based on the description of the last chapter, I, yeah, I had some hints. Yeah. Um, all right, so we will um, talk to you next time, I guess. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, bye, y'all.